Hello thinkers and welcome to the second episode of this new podcast, Thoughts Please. On this podcast we're going to be asking big, vague questions and then just seeing where the conversation goes. With me today is Sasha Lucas, a fitness coach who specializes in individual design. Is there anything else that people should know about you, Sasha? No, I think that's pretty good, actually. Good intro. That's pretty much it. That's everything there is. Brilliant. Well, in that case, this season's question and my question for you, what is love? So, Sasha, can I have your thoughts, please? A very, very interesting topic. I think for me, I have to go back to have I ever experienced love? Because I think it's something that you do have to experience to be able to talk about. So yeah, I guess I have been in love only once. Only once? Wow. Only once, a very, very long time ago. I was 19. I met someone at university and it was my longest ever relationship, um, just under five years. And yeah, I can honestly say that I was, I was definitely in love and I can recognise that now looking back. Prior to that, had you thought you'd been in love? And then sort of each time you realised that you weren't actually in love the last time and this is what love is? Or was it you'd never really experienced it and then this one time was that was it? Yes, I think I'd never experienced it. Obviously, before the age of 19, I guess the people you tend to be in quote-unquote relationships with aren't exactly (laughs) very mature or yeah, worth even talking about. Um, But this relationship... There was something about it that just it it felt very very right at the time Um, and I think I was authentically myself throughout the entire relationship which I think is very important and yeah it was just under five years of fun and it, it was absolutely amazing. Two questions for you then what about that relationship at the beginning was different to previous ones other than the maturity and and sort of just being a bit older than maybe you had been previously and secondly you said that it was right at the time why (laughs) why why at the time so what about it was different it started at university so i was in a very relaxed time in my life there was very little stress not no stress at university that's not a common thing to hear it was the kind of stress that was like, oh, I've got an assignment due in. I need to be at this lecture at 4 p.m. and I'm in bed and it's 2 p.m. But there was nothing really in my life at the time that I was struggling with or that was on my mind. And I met this uh, one person and he was very similar to me. We had very similar interests and it was just uh, we hit it off straight away. Our families. Uh, had similar interests as well Uh, my dad's a mountain biker and he was a mountain biker so it was almost like we just hit it off and I never felt like I had to act a particular way around him it was just like this is it and he was the same and we were just very relaxed and I think the thing about that relationship is I didn't feel anxious at all throughout the entire thing and then sorry repeat the next the other question uh, the other bit of the question was you said that it was right for you at the time. So that would imply either that by the end of it, it wasn't right or maybe for who you are now, it wouldn't be right for you now. And maybe both of those or none of those. Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting because when it ended, it was heartbreaking, of course, but it was almost like we grew up together and therefore grew apart. I was a year older than him, I think. So I was 19, he was 18, and then we split up just before I turned 24. At which point you're a very different person. The, you know? Oh my I goodness, I mean, five yeah. years at any point, but particularly that young, like a 19-year-old versus a 24-year-old, you're 
pre-university versus after university like i know so many people who have that exact thing they've sort of they've either dated someone from high school before they've gone to university or they've met in their first year you you become a very different person throughout university oh my god yeah 100 percent um what were you like before university what was the pre-uni sasha pre-uni you know what the pre-university Sasha was very very different I liked alcohol very much um I was going out a lot because I lived in uh, London pre-university um and I was attending a fashion college um in central London so it was very going out uh, fashion obviously clothes drinking an existence now that I look back at and think that really wasn't me at all but at the time, it, it was fun, don't get me wrong, but now I look at that life and I think, God, that is not me whatsoever. It was an experience that you probably needed, but it's not something that you sort of want to continue with, I guess. And I think a lot of life experiences like that. It makes you who you are, but it's not... You can look back and go, yeah, that was a that was a bad time. <laughs> oh, glad <laughs> no, that's over. Yeah, exactly. I learned a lot, obviously. And then I went to university uh in manchester so i was in london then moved to manchester went to study fashion again at uh, manchester metropolitan and yeah i just um i kind of discovered part of myself i guess in this person the kind of sporty i guess more interested in health he was a professional athlete at the time so i picked up a lot of uh health and fitness habits from him um, and I actually gave up drinking for a couple of years because he was uh, in competition season and he was doing it. So I was just like, oh, well, if, if you're not drinking, then there's no point in me really drinking. So I gave it up. But then as we grew up, he stopped riding his bike uh, professionally. Um, you know, we, we made different friends and it just got to a point where it was very sad, but it just seemed like the right thing to do. And we just went our separate ways. Do you think that that ended quite well then by the sounds of things? Painful, but on good terms? Oh, yeah, it was extremely painful at the time. Um, Not that you will, but ask my mum and dad. I was an absolute mess, I'd say, for maybe six months. I was an absolute mess. And then for six months to a year, I was kind of like finding my way again. But looking back now, obviously, it was a very long time ago, seven years ago now. Looking back, I think that it did end well it had to happen it wasn't on bad terms or anything it was very upsetting for both of us i remember at the time it was really really distressing but looking back at it you know what will be will be it happened it happened so you now obviously work as a fitness coach specializing in individual design that's not what you studied at university though no 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 i got into that afterwards right when when did you get into that and obviously you've mentioned that some of it was triggered by dating this guy who was a professional athlete was that everything that sparked? Were you into fitness before that at all? You know what? My my mum was into fitness. And then when I met this guy, he was very into it. And then it just became my surroundings. Um, so I got really into it. I think it's only natural when you begin your life in fitness. It's a little obsessive. Um, but I think that's it. I think that's only natural. Um, I did. I did all of it. I was very, very obsessive for only a short amount of time, but I learned from my mistakes very quickly. And I think that's what enables me to coach people like I do today, because I've been there, I've done it all. And I know what, what's right and what and what's not and what's right for others and what's uh, wrong for others. So yeah, I got into that pretty quickly after the, uh, the relationship ended, actually, maybe a year later, uh, obviously got straight into the business. And then as I was working, I realized that as cheesy as it sounds like if you're not investing into 
um, expanding your knowledge within the industry, then you'll die out. Um, so a year and a half ago, I enrolled in OPEX Fitness, um, which is a basically a coaching certificate, which uh, enables you to coach individuals, basically assessing nourishment, program design, and it was the best thing I ever did. It didn't, it didn't cost very little, you know, it was expensive, um, but it was totally worth every single penny and I would do it again. So by the sounds of it, sort of going back to the topic of the podcast, you'd say you, you, you love your job, you love working as a coach? I love my job, I think, because I have seen what fitness and health has done for me and the people close to me and it has been so good that I can't imagine I honestly can't imagine why someone wouldn't want to be healthier I, I, I and that's my bias as a fitness uh, professional but it's just it's a no-brainer to me and I really want to help people realize that unfortunately it's a no-brainer you know it comes down to education though doesn't it I think, yeah of course i i i 100 agree i sort of you you see these people and, and you think how can you get to that point you know particularly if we're talking about you know morbidly obese people and and sort of you know i think the, we can all agree the uk has an obesity problem um if only made worse by the pandemic or sort of um, highlighted by the pandemic it, and you sort of you look and you go how can you actually let yourself get to that point and then you realize it just comes down to education. It's the way that they've been brought up and it's the way that the education system just allows it. And the fact that you can go down to a McDonald's and buy a full meal for a couple quid, but you go to the supermarket and a lettuce, just one lettuce, like, you know, healthy food. Healthy food is expensive and it, it shouldn't be. It should be subsidized. It should be all these kind of things. How do we fix that? Another big question. There we go. How, <laughs> do, how do we fix the education around obesity and health and fitness? You know what? It's a huge, huge topic. And the thing that I think is that obviously I work with individual design. So it's in it's coaching people on an individual basis and understanding that every single person has been brought up in a different family from a different place with different biases through different filters. And everybody thinks of the world differently. So trying to coach people with the same program or the same nutritional guidelines is futile and it will only lead to misalignment within their own views of fitness and misalignment will generally lead to people not adhering to the to the program and then having to start again at another time so with me I always think that if I can coach the individual and look at what they think and what they've been through in their life then I can try my very best to put something together that will help them and obviously uh like you said with obesity it, it's a it's a huge problem but i also know people who technically would be seen as overweight um and but who are a lot healthier than some people who you know could be seen as a, a good weight but smoke and uh, shove a load of cocaine up their nose at the weekend and all that <laughs> yes the, <laughs> so it's the it's, quickest it's, way to lose weight is the cocaine exactly diet. exactly so it's murky waters it's um it's something that uh, you know, I always say that there's a place where we all should stay and it's in our own lane. And if I was, if a client came to me and they really suffered with uh, weight problems and it was uh, a psychological issue, then I would say, of course, I'll help you. I'd love to have you as a client. But I also think we should look into this a little more with someone who specializes in this field. So 
yeah I think it's a huge deal it's a part of my job but it's also something that I try not to focus on because sometimes if you focus on the weight issues too much it just creates a bad relationship and you feel like that's all you're talking about um, I like to focus on other things which will help them realize that their diet movement uh, hydration sleep everything is, is is just as important as what they weigh and like you said it's all part of a puzzle isn't it it's your your one piece of the overall health puzzle and I guess you know parts of that are the mental health aspects you know if someone really is struggling with an eating disorder there are people who just training can can help with that but if it really is an issue then that's where you get therapists and you get people who are experts in that field to do that piece of the puzzle and then you help with the fitness and the nutrition and those kind of parts and it's just all all part of a puzzle and becoming overall healthy you know not just healthy in one aspect exactly yeah i like that analogy of the puzzle because i like you said it's um i can do the prescription with fitness i can help with nourishment um guidelines and everything but if there's an underlying issue that needs resolving then i'm not the person it's that's when uh we say if in doubt refer out so some trainers would like to try and solve all the problems but it's not going to do you any good do you find often that once you've built that relationship with like that coach client relationship and they feel comfortable and they feel safe to you, do you often feel your clients do come to you with issues like that? And you sort of, you're like, I want to help, but I also can't. Yeah, it's <laughs> you, you, actually, it'd be interesting for you to talk to my coach about that because I've been through a, a stage of feeling like I have to solve everyone's problems because otherwise I'm not a good coach. When in fact, if you take on, other people's issues too much that you aren't qualified to solve then it's never going to go anywhere you know obviously I can help um, but my help is recognizing the issue seeing where it's come from and then analyzing everything and see what they actually need whether it be um, eating disorder stuff or just therapy around another issue in their life or so they, they joke that personal trainers are therapists and it's like only if you only if you make yourself one. Yeah, sometimes all you need is someone to listen to you and sort of be there. And I think that's particularly become noticeable during the pandemic, you know, having for me personally, just knowing that there are people out there because you feel so isolated, just knowing that there's someone out there that you can talk to that does care. And if you want to speak about your problems, you can. I like that mental health is becoming less taboo these days. People are willing to speak about it and feel comfortable saying, hey, actually, I've got a problem and I need help. I think that's a great thing. A hundred percent. And I always say to, to, to my clients anyway that, um, you know, I am the person in their corner. And if, even if they have an issue with something that's got nothing to do with fitness or health or sleep or anything like that, it's like, at least I'm another ear that might be outside of, of their friendship group or family. And it's like sometimes you just need to hear an opinion from someone who doesn't really know what's going on. Almost someone who, in a way, doesn't care. Doesn't care in the best possible way. They care about you, but they, they don't care about all the other intricacies and the little things that are going on, and the, maybe the dynamics of the relationships and stuff. And they just... They just care about you and want the best for you. And they're just going to listen and they're just going to give this advice and just be like, right, this is it, you know, because they're not embedded into the problem in a way. Exactly. And I think I can actually say that I, I think that that's what I'm good at. Um, if you ask my friends or my family, they'd say that I'm, I'm to the point and I will always speak without judgment but I will also always kind of say it how it is in, in, in the nicest way possible because sometimes there's so much fantasy in the world sometimes we just need a realist just to say sorry but 
this is how it is. And um, you can do this if you want to, to fix this issue, but maybe look at why it's an issue in the first place. And maybe, and that's when I just say, go away and have a think. And, and I'm here if you want to chat about it again. Yeah, I saw something recently, which made me think about how I approach sort of talking with friends about mental health and how I approach trying to help people. And it was something to ask a person when they've come to you with a problem to ask, do you want support or do you want advice? Do you want comfort or do you want help? Because they're two very different things. And a lot of people, they they may just want to offload and tell you all of their problems and then just you to be, hey, I'm here for you. It's going to be okay. And that has become such a big thing. I, I'm always thinking in my head now is like, does this person want support? Or do they want advice? Exactly. That's two different things. Two very different things. And I think that's when we can go nicely into the theory of empathy and sympathy. And sympathy being if, if your friend is drowning in a boat, get in that boat and drown with them. And then empathy would be uh, throw a rope to the boat and pull them out. I used to be very sympathetic. And it was, um, people might say, how can it how can it be bad that you have sympathy? But it's like, if someone needs your help, realizing what the issue is and then going down with them isn't going to get anyone anywhere. It's not going to solve any problems. It's not, it? Exactly. It's just going to, you're going to get, it'll probably exacerbate the issue. If someone's crying about something and then you just start crying, which I used to do, and just go up and be like, oh my God, no, I'm so sorry. Everything will be all right, blah, blah, blah. But then if you're like, okay, right, this is a really bad situation. I empathize with the fact that you're really upset. This is really, really bad. However, you know the situation at hand can is in good hands we can it can be helped by doing this so let's just look at it think what can we do what can we do to solve this issue i guess it's like another thing i i tend to say is you know when you see like a, a toddler crying in the supermarket because they fell over the, the parent could go oh my god oh my god are you okay and then the the toddler at that point is probably going to cry even more because they're like oh my god because suddenly they realize oh. that maybe there's a problem you know they probably just bumped themselves and went oh immediate reaction is to cry but really they're exactly. not actually hurt exactly but the moment you introduce the idea that something might be worse than it is then they suddenly start crying babies bounce like obviously look after kids oh, and, like, yeah. care about them but but children bounce and they will be very resilient and the amount of times you see a child fall over smack their head on the ground start crying and then they look around and realize that no one's coming to them and then they go oh okay well then i'm just going to get up and move on now obviously you know make sure yeah. they're okay I'm not course. saying not saying abandon your children to pain, check for concussion but, yeah but you know there is there is something to be said for not making the problem worse exactly trying exactly to help and that exactly. probably is true for a lot of things that sometimes trying to help can make it make it a lot worse exactly so obviously what would be a wise thing to do in that decision is walk up to the, the child and just be like oh did you hit your leg oh it oh it looks okay though anyway we need to go over here and get some bagels you know and then the kid the kid's like oh uh oh yeah you know what my knee is and if it fine. is if it really is a problem if they've broken it you will know despite your your attempt to sort of alleviate it or to reduce it minimize the issue they will continue to cry and at that oh, point yeah. you, you're oh something more serious is here. oh yes this, my child's yeah. leg is broken <laughs> yes oh it's pointing the wrong way i don't think knees are meant to point in that direction oh, yeah yeah exactly so when you were talking about empathy and sympathy and how they sort of relate to each other it reminded me of this cartoon i saw which was talking about equality versus equity and equality so the image is this this family and they're they're trying to watch a baseball game and you've got sort of a teenager a, a baby and a, and a dad and equality they're all stood on a single box they've each got a box 
But what that means is that the baby is still staring at a fence. The teenager can only just peek over the fence and the dad is fine. Whereas equity, the baby gets two boxes, the teenager gets one box and the dad doesn't need one. And it's kind of this commentary on, you know, privilege and starting at, you know, higher or lower places. And and people are just trying to say, well, all you really need in the world is equality, is to be equal. And that doesn't really work because if you give everyone the same benefit, the same help, if you're starting at a higher place, then you can just reach a higher place. You know, so you actually need to give those who start lower down more of a boost to be able to reach the same position. 100%. No, I really like that. I really like that analogy. And it reminds me of the term equality, I guess, and how I wanted to go with, with the, obviously the original question, what is love? Um, Indeed, and bringing it all I, the way back to the beginning. <laughs> yes. Of course, but then I went into my experience of love and my only experience of love and why since that time struggled to find anything even close to that since. So although we're talking about what is love, I guess I just think it'd be interesting to go into what people think is love but what tends to not be love in these circumstances well i mentioned right at the beginning when you were talking about having only experienced it once i asked you each time you've felt it have you thought you've felt it before but then realized you haven't and that for me is very much the experience like i i can remember thinking with my very first girlfriend when i was 15 i am in love i'm madly in love this is this is amazing this is what love is and realizing now as a little bit older that that wasn't and each relationship each subsequent relationship since then you know i've had maybe five or six what i would consider serious relationships and in each one of them i have felt like i'm in love and then the very next one i realize no that wasn't love this is love and then the next one i go no that wasn't love that wasn't it no i don't i didn't know what i was on about this is what love is so what do you think people think is love but isn't interesting see i love that because it's great that you and i are having this conversation because i'm almost 30 and you're 24 right so it's with who are seeing it through different lenses and, and different filters and i think that's really interesting um so obviously i was in love i can i will say i definitely was and since then i would say um i haven't been in any relationships per se um i think the longest was possibly six months since then so i'm going from four and uh well just under five years to a few little three monthers here and there uh six months being the longest and now i have come to the tender age of 29 almost 30. i am very very self-aware and i've worked very hard to get here it's not been easy it's been a mess actually an absolute catastrophe at points was it intentional to not enter into a long-term relationship since then or is it just how it's worked out it's how it's worked out but also it's me almost getting into quote-unquote relationships and then always comparing the relationship to what I know of love and no- noticing therefore the the flaws and to be honest in the relationship since then it's always been me not being able to recognize at the time what what I was doing wrong which wasn't authentically myself and now I've got to the age of 29 I can look back at every single I keep quote uh, putting my two fingers up for relationships so I don't count a lot of them but I can honestly look back and see that a lot of them were ego ego love Um, and I think uh, ego and love cannot coexist and people who are driven by ego all day and their whole life 
will never ever be secure in a relationship um and i can look back and see that a lot of the time i was driven by validation uh, wanting recognition wanting constant attention just to validate the fact that they were interested whilst being very very far away from my natural experience of love to play devil's advocate yeah for just a second you're obviously saying you you occasionally or perhaps often compare these quote-unquote relationships to the one time that you were in love now that was at least six years ago and then obviously a long relationship so you know it, it was some time ago do you think that you perhaps remember it maybe not wrong but differently or you sort of placed it on a pedestal and you're comparing these new relationships to this old one and it's never going to be the same it's never going to be that so are you perhaps looking for something that doesn't exist and you're holding yourself back there yeah i love that um i love it when people play devil's advocate because it challenges the uh, the question and the answer um but yeah you're possibly right i think that um definitely in the few relationships after that relationship was me hunting for something that maybe i wasn't going to find again but the people who i was in these quote-unquote relationships with were not the best people looking back it's like sasha what were you what, what were you, you thinking what, why come on why? why come on you're yeah. better than that you're better than that but it was it was I wasn't I wasn't secure in the person I was so my ego I guess at the time was was relying on the, the mistaken premise that our happiness can only be found in another so we can't I couldn't be happy unless I was because that was I, when I was happiest in that relationship so then it was me basically saying that I need someone to complete me Otherwise, what am I doing? Seeking validation, you'd say. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, which is a very, very slippery slope because I've been there. It leads us to wanting that other person to be someone that they will probably never be, but also the other way around. And like I said, ego and love cannot coexist. And that's why none of them worked. Like I always knew they wouldn't deep down. But at the time, it was like I was just searching for any positivity. If this person would do something nice for me, I would just cling on to that. When in fact, it was one of 10 things and the other nine were shit. And once that one person stops providing the validation, once that is no longer enough, getting back to the conversation I was having with Danny in the previous episode about addiction and sort of that, you, you're always striving for that that high, that initial high, and you never get it. If you're searching for this validation from a person, eventually it's going to run out. Then it's a very, very slippery slope. Exactly. And that's when it's ego loving and not, and not proper love because you're just seeking something that might not come from that person. Um, and then I think, interestingly, it goes into something that I think love also cannot exist around, which is the act of being a people pleaser, which I was a chronic, <laughs> chronic people pleaser. The relationships I was in, it was one-sided. Um, I did everything. I almost turned into this 1950s kind of housewife thing, which I'm not, um, I'm not proud of, to be honest. I would cook all the dinner. I'd organize everything. I would do this. I would make sure if they left their clothes at my house, I would wash them, clean them, fold them, make sure everything was nice. And it was like, that was me being the best 
person I could be to someone who didn't deserve it because at least it meant that I was hearing what I wanted to hear. And I think that's an important distinction there to say that it's someone who doesn't deserve it because there's nothing wrong with striving to be the best possible version of yourself. But the person has to deserve it and it has to be reciprocated. They have to be going to just as extreme lengths to to please you and to make you happy. Because if it's one way, that's the unhealthy side of things, right? If it's not reciprocated, then that's where it's unhealthy. Exactly. Exactly. No, you're, you're so right. And it, it comes to a point where that person, the other person, is very happy to receive your generosity. Because why wouldn't they? They're thinking, oh, God, I hit the jackpot here. You know, she's doing this, she's doing this. And it becomes comfortable for them. There's no reason for them to leave or to change because they can get away with doing nothing while you do everything. And if you prove that you're willing to do it, I actually read something the other day. I think it was a Reddit post and it was sort of great pieces of life advice that you've received. And one of them said it was this woman. It was talking about on her wedding day, she was speaking to her grandmother-in-law. And this, this grandmother said to her, Never do anything around the house that you aren't willing to do for the rest of your life. And at the time, she sat there going, what is this old woman on about? That's ridiculous. And it wasn't until she was mowing the lawn seven months pregnant that she realized wow. exactly what the, what the grandma meant by don't do anything around the house that you don't want to be doing for the rest of your life. And I think that's exactly what it is. This partner became comfortable with the idea that the wife mowed the lawns. She did it once and she kept doing it. And there's no reason to change that. Exactly. But then it's a communication thing because if this woman's mowing the lawn at seven months pregnant and the guy is sat in, inside, I don't know, possibly watching TV, can you blame that man when the woman's been mowing the lawn for seven years? You know, it's like, well, well, she always mows the lawn. Then it's a communication thing. And communication is very lacking in relationships based on ego because no one wants to damage their own ego. No one wants to say no to anything. No one wants to no one wants to push the other person away because it's a fear of rejection at the end of the day. And no one likes to be wrong. At the end of the day, human nature, right? You don't want to be wrong about things or just to admit that you've made a mistake or, or I guess really in this case, to admit that you could have been better. Like how scary is that to say, I could have been better? Yeah, exactly. But I think that comes with uh, going back to self-awareness because I was working so hard to be indispensable, but I didn't recognize at the time. I was honestly, I, it would be on my mind all the time. Oh, just make sure this person's happy. If this person, it doesn't matter about me, God forbid, you know, it just, it only matters about them. And all that mattered was I was doing everything that they, I thought they needed you're just blind to all the negatives then and then it's just a toxic wasteland of mess <laughs> that's never ever gonna it's never gonna work and you end up thinking if people don't need me why would they want me and that was the thought that yeah and i know it's, it's almost horrible sometimes for me to say because it's exactly how i was and honestly me getting out of that has I can't tell you how much I've changed in the last two years so much so that my reactions to certain situations actually shock me to the point where I don't I don't recognize myself in a good way as in like I've upgraded but I was stuck in a in a very very bad cycle of people pleasing just basically a lack of self-worth just thinking I need to be the best person here otherwise no one's going to want me and how sad is that and I'm not like trying to make people feel sorry for me because I don't want that but it's the realization and awareness that that was what I was like. But now 
now I recognize those feelings, I can stay away from them. And how good is that? But some people are just too scared to, to admit, again, like we were saying, no one likes being wrong, but there's such beauty and humility. I was wrong there. It was bad. I'm really sorry. Apologize to yourself. I'm really sorry, Sasha, that you thought you were, that you acted like such a mug back in the day to these people. But now I have the self-awareness and authenticity that I can go into a relationship from now on and be like, look, this is me. If you don't like it, you can piss off. You know, I ain't changing because I've been there and it's really stressful. Yeah, you definitely seem like an advocate of the of the self-love and you can't you can't love someone else without loving yourself first. Exactly. Like I know in episode one of this series, um, you, you spoke about self-love and it's being able to feel complete on your own without the need of someone else saying you're beautiful or saying that uh, you're the best or oh I need you or blah 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 when you have that self-love oh it's a it's a relief it's it's not something that I expect anyone to be fair in their early early 20s to have and that's fine because you need to make all these tragic mistakes to be able to come out the other end but I can honestly say now that do I love myself I think the word love for that is very strong but I'm very happy and content in in the person I am and what I can bring to a, a more even two-sided relationship in the future you're on the right path towards loving yourself it's and it is a continual development and it's it's a never-ending you know we're always a work in progress but you've realized a lot of the flaws and obviously there will still be flaws to come because that's just human nature but you're on the right path and you're you're heading in the right direction towards i guess healthy two-way relationships i'm definitely halfway up 100 and i think i said it in one of my emails um a couple of weeks back um, it's better to be halfway up the right ladder than at the top of the wrong one. And I may not be all the way there, but like, I'm definitely, my trajectory is good at the minute. When at, at times, right I'm yeah. on the right ladder, where at times, you know, my ladder was halfway off a cliff and I was hanging on for dear life without, without trying to sound too dramatic. <laughs> no, I like that. I think that's, um, that's a very positive way to end the podcast there. Is there anything you want to plug? Obviously, you've mentioned your email. Yeah. Where can people sign up to your email list? Um, so I started a, it's a weekday thing. Um, it's something I've always wanted to do. I really love to write. I love the written word. I love expressing myself through uh, writing. And uh, it's a daily email in the week. So Monday to Friday in your inbox. Not necessarily fitness-based. Sometimes just what I've been thinking in the day and how I think it can help others. And it is brilliant. So if you've enjoyed hearing Sasha talk about these kinds of things and want to hear more of what she's got to say, uh, then in the description of this podcast, there'll be information on how you can sign up to her email and also links, obviously, to her Instagram, uh, where you can follow her there. But that's going to be it for this episode of Thoughts, Please. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. If there are any comments that you'd like to make or any thoughts that you'd like to share, then we do have an email, which is thoughts.please.podcast at gmail.com. So send us an email with your thoughts. I'd love to hear them. And hopefully I'll see you in the next one.